how does kapora work? How is it possible to atone for an avera? If you're in the same realm that is damaged by the avera, how do you have the resources to fix it? And if it's true, as we are taught, that it's a higher dimension, which is untainted by our averas that allows the atonement to happen, well, if it's higher than our reality and higher than our averas, how does it help our averas? Let's look at how the Alter Rebbe explains both the nature of the letters of Hashem's name and how those letters are affected or impacted by our behavior the Rebbe's father's insight onto this, and then we'll see this paradoxical reality of how Kapora happens. In Fertim Perik von Egeras Achub, the fourth chapter of Egeras Achub, is the Alter Rebbe Mevore, the Alter Rebbe explains, The Alter Rebbe explains that all ten spheres are included in and alluded to in the letters of Hashem's name, Yud Kei Those are important words, included in and alluded to. And then explains, Yud, which is a tiny letter, which is just like a dot, that hints at the level of Hashem's Chochmah. And then he tells us, the little flick, the little crown uh, that is on the, or the little edge that is on the Yud, the little, so to speak, um, hook of the, of the Yud, that is Roy Mez, that hints at the Hashem's uh, supernal rotten. If you've noticed now, there's the word Miramezes and the word Romes. They sound the same, they're not the same. We'll see why. And then when that original seed of an idea, Chochmah, expands and, and evolves into something broader and more developed, that's that is included in and hinted at in the letter He. And then when that same expanded version of divine revelation is then evolved further and made to be, so to speak, lower and more tangible, that will be incorporated in and alluded to in the final letters of Hashem's name, Vav how is there this continuum? How is there this bringing down of divine energy into a realm that is more accessible to us? It's through Hashem's Midois. Which are all incorporated in the symbolism of the number six, which is the Vav, the letter Vav of Hashem's name. And then after having gone through the six Midois, then the final manifestation of divine energy in its, so to speak, lowest or more t- most tangible form is in Malchus. And that is incorporated in and hinted at in the letter, the final hey of Hashem's name. So it's a description of how Yudke Vavke encompasses the whole process of Hishtalshlus. So Reb Leivik in his commentary on Tanya says, he, he focuses, He notes immediately that there are three different expressions that the Alter Rebbe uses when he's describing how these various letters of Hashem's name are associated with these different manifestations and evolutions of divine energy. When he talks about the so-called hook or flick, that little tiny piece of the extra piece of the Yud, he says that hints at, and the word that he uses for hint is Romes, not Meramis. We'll see soon what the difference is. On by Yud, whereas when he talks about the actual letter Yud itself, which represents Chochmah, not Keser, then the Altrebbe changes the form of the word, and instead of using Romes, which would be the feminine version of Romes for Chochmah, which is a feminine word, instead he, he uses Meramezes. We have to understand why that distinction. And then, by the Tzvei, Yud, Vakay, Chala, Yud, Zakta, Beseder, Azazan, Meramez, and Reimez, Ev Chochmah, Vakeser, Ratzin. So when he's talking about the Yud and the Koitz on the Yud, then he goes in the order in which they appear, which is that the Yud represents Chochmah, and the Koitz is the next higher level, which is Keser. Neat as Chochmah ve Keser, Meramazim, be Yud, ve Koitzer. But look how he says it. He doesn't say Chochmah and Keser are alluded to in the Yud and its Koitz. This is the other way around. That Chochmah is alluded to by the Yud, and then the Keser in the Koitz. Mashenke Babina, Zoh Malchus, Nochet Behefech. But Reb Levick points out that when he speaks about Bina and then of Midas and then Malchus, he actually orders it the other way around. As a Zayin and Irmaz and says, Hey, Vav, Hey, Deshem. Then he goes in the order that the letters appear. As a Zayin, Unitas, the says, Hey, Vav, Hey, Meramazim, Meramazim, Lahem. Rather than saying the letters allude to these things, he says these things are alluded to in the letters. See the distinction over here? So with Chochmah and Keser, he's saying the letter alludes to Chochmah and Keser, right? Chochmah and Keser, Meramazim. First he tells us what the thing is. 
And then he tells us how it is represented. And when it comes to the Oisius, Hevav Hey is Meramsim and Meramsim, that alludes to the letters. Uh, sorry, not to the letters, to the concept, to the, the Bina, the, the Midas and Malchus. Okay, right now it seems like a very subtle distinction. Another distinction that Reb Levik points out between when the Alter Rebbe is talking about Chochman Keser on the one hand, or Bina Midos and Malchus on the other hand, when the Alter Rebbe describes how the letter represents Bina or Midos or Malchus, not only does he say the letter alludes to or hints at those levels, but he also says it's Nichleles. It is also incorporated within the, the, the letters as well. Whereas when it comes to the expression about Chochman Keser, he doesn't use the word Klal at all. And he only uses the words that it hints at. So we've got to understand what's the difference between whether the letter hints at a particular topic or energy or whether it incorporates that particular energy. Now, the Rebbe doesn't explain why they are these distinctions, just points our attention to them. Um, as he just says, you know, pay attention to the language and almost saying you'll work it out. So it seems like Reblevik is saying, if I draw your attention to these uh, anomalies in the text, it will get you to the point that you'll explore them and you'll understand. I don't have to explain it to you, which obviously the Rebbe is going to do for us, will explain to us. So, based on how Reb Levik has drawn our attention to the anomalies in the text, we see that there are really three elements or three stages that happen. The koitz al hayudis blois roimas lebchinas rotsen elyon. You have the hook or the koitz, the so-called barb of the yud that only hints at Hashem's rotsen. The nekudah for nois yud is meramezes lechachmasis borech, whereas the actual yud itself, which is this tiny little spot letter, that hints at meramezes, different word. To Hashem's Chachma, and in the Oisus Hevav Hevni Chlolus Venir Mazes Yisrael Binazol Malchus, whereas the other three letters not only hint at but also incorporate within them the energy of Bina and Midos and Malchus. But you have to remember that the introduction the Alter Rebbe used to the entire conversation was to say that all ten spheres are not only hinted at but also incorporated within the letters. That implies that Chochma, although it's a very elevated sphere, is still one of the ten spheres. Somehow the letter Yud is not only going to allude to Chochmah, but it will somehow incorporate the energy of Chochmah within it. So we've really got to understand what this concept is. What's the difference between a letter that alludes to an energy or a letter that incorporates an energy? And of course, the big outlier will be Keser. But when we're talking about Hashem's Ratzon, which is the element of Keser, which is completely beyond the system of the ten spheres, you cannot use the expression that it is incorporated in, although it is hinted at, and even then it's a different kind of hinting in the Koitz Shalyud. Doses, let's put it into different words. As a disperses, we immediately identify that Chochmah has two components to it. On the one hand, Chochmah is one of the ten spheres. It has a common denominator with the other spheres and because of that, because it is similar to the other spheres, therefore it has a similar set of attributes to the other spheres, being that it could be incorporated in the letter that represents it, in this case the Yud. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, on the other hand, Chochmah is in a class of its own as spheres go. And in certain respects, Chachma is actually more similar to Ratzon than it is to the other spheres, and therefore, that's why he doesn't, when spelling out the details, use the word Nichleles, that Chachma is incorporated inside the letter Yud. And also, he has that little subtlety again, it's not that Chachma is hinted at in the Yud, it's rather that Yud hints at the Chochmah. Now we'll explain what the difference is between something being hinted at in the letter versus the letter hinting at it. It does sound like semantics, but there's a really significant difference. So the Bir and the other, the Yukim, let's explain all of these uh, points that Reb Levik has drawn our attention to. 
And the Shaykh is Michedes to take and clearly was Retzich during the Gerasa Tshuva. Plus, we have to ask a broader question, which is why is this relevant in the section of a Gerasa Tshuva? Surely, this sounds like something which should be maybe in Shara Yichud Vayimuna, where we speak about these uh, technical Kabbalistic concepts. And obviously, the Rebbe is drawing our attention to this because these specific um, anomalies in the text they are relevant to the discussion in. We have to look at another question which needs to be addressed over here, which is a broader question, and that is as follows. What's the Altrebe's objective here? He wants to explain. Here, at this particular point, the Altrebe wants us to know how Yud Kei will represent and hint within it all of the spectrum of the ten spheres. So the question is, if the objective over here is to talk about the ten spheres, why mention at all, even if it's in parentheses, as the Why then at all speak about Keser slash Ratzon, which is represented by the Koitz Shal Yud, which is outside of the ten spheres? The Altrebe's goal is to tell us how the ten spheros are reflected in Yudkei Vavkei. Why even discuss something that's not part of and is fundamentally beyond the ten spheros? The kasha is not starker. What makes the question stronger is the birdo in why is Alter Rebbe even talking about these four letters and how they relate to the four to, to the different dimensions of the ten spheres? It's only to get us to a certain point. Because Alter Rebbe wants to get to the point where he's going to say that the same kind of thing is reflected in our Neshamas because we are a portion of Hashem. And therefore the Alter Rebbe wants us to know that just as there are four letters or four dimensions of the ten spheres represented by the ten by, by the four letters of Hashem's name, so there's that kind of a four-dimensional system within ourselves as well. So when the Alter Rebbe reaches the point that seems to be the objective of this peric, which is to explain how it reflects inside of ourselves, he doesn't relate it back to the Koetzal Yud. So if he's not going to explain the relevance of the Koichulud or how it's represented in our own system, why explain it in the technical side of what the four letters of Hashem's name represent? The answer is this. The Altrebe's focus over here on discussing how we are all a portion of Hashem and specifically a portion of Shem Havaya is because Altrebe wants us to understand that when a person does an Avera, it causes some kind of uh, blight, some kind of damage, some kind of tainting to the letters of Hashem's name. And then what's relevant to us is how we fix it. So how do we fix it? When we do tshuva, we, are, we access the 13 attributes of Hashem's rachamim mercy, which is something that stems from Hashem's something which is far greater than the energy flow which can be generated by the four letters of Hashem's name. And this incredibly powerful energy that stems from the has the capacity to cleanse and to, and to remove all of the the blemishes that we have caused in the four letters of Hashem's name. Then we have a question. The Altreb is telling us over here based on the Pasuk that says that we are a portion of Hashem. He explains we're a portion not just of Hashem generically, but specifically a portion of the name Yudke Vavke. As great as it is for us to be a portion of Hashem, if we're a portion of Yud Kei how do we reach beyond Yud Kei to access this Yud Gimel which is so powerful, this Ratzon, to be able to cleanse our Averis? That's a big question. How can we reach beyond ourselves? Typically, a person would never have the power to be able to attain something that is beyond where they come from. That's what Alter wants to immediately tackle as soon as he raises the point the first time. He needs us to know that Ratzon Ha'Elion, even though it is so great and so exponential, still has a link back to the four letters of Hashem's name. But not the actual letters themselves, but rather this koitz, this little barb on the letter Yud. 
telling us that there's this hyperlink between Yudke Vavke and Ratzon Ha'elion, which is really beyond Yudke Vavke, and that hyperlink is in the Kotz Shal Yud, well, then we have something we can work with, because if we are Chedek Amo, if we're part of Eivishter, part of Yudke Vavke, and Yudke Vavke has access to the Kotz Shal Yud, which is the Maila Maila, so at least we have access to that too. Let's understand this a little better. This concept that Hashem's rotten is what cleanses us from our various, because that's the real question. How does atonement happen? So now that we have identified that Hashem's will and supernal will to atone for us is linked to the that helps us to start to understand how Hashem's Rotson, which is fundamentally beyond the letters of Yudke Vavke, which effectively means that whatever goes on in the world of the letters of Yudke Vavke is technically irrelevant to Rotson Elion because it's so removed and so beyond. And yet at the same time, that Rotson Elion can seep in and reach in and have an effect and cleanse what's been damaged in the Oasis Yudke Vavke. There because logically it doesn't seem to make sense. The fact that Ratzon Ha'elion is capable of providing the possibility of forgiveness, that makes sense. Because this is, Ratzon Ha'elion is a dimension of godliness that hasn't yet taken on a particular form. It's not bound by certain restrictions or, or rules, etc. So there's nothing that can limit or impact or or in any way restrict the power of this uh, element of godliness. And so if we do things that are bad things, it actually makes no difference. So if that's a level which is so removed from our reality, that our worst misbehaviors can't have any impact and can't make any damage over there, then obviously that allows Hashem the opportunity, so to speak, to, to forgive us from that perspective. Because we, he was at that level never bothered by our affairs. Okay, fine. So he can, he can be moichel. But that's not what we're looking for. How is it possible that this really, really elevated level, which is completely beyond the entire reality of Yudkei Vavkei, this is a dimension that is antithetical to what letters represent. Letters represent shaped energy, defined energy, finite energy. This is Ratzon, which is not bound by any of those things. So how could this, how could this supreme level actually take, so to speak, the attention and time and effort to cleanse a, a limited world? Yes, of course it's Yudke Vavke, it's letters of Hashem's name, but it's Tzir, it's where things are in a bounded sense. So how can an unbounded energy fix the bounded reality of Yudke Vavke? That's what Dalt is explaining to us. That the Ratzon Elion has a hook, it has a connection. The Koitz, which is part of the letter Yud, although it's not technically the letter, is the access point of this very, very deep, powerful, profound energy to be able to affect the Yud. In other words, it's telling us that yes, you would expect that Ratzon Ha'elin is something which can never, under any circumstances, be related to or incorporated in the Oasis, the letters of Shem Avayim, what they represent, and yet there is actually an access point. It's the first kind of little ink blot that everything develops out of. That's how you start a yud, right? You start drawing the yud from that little point, and then you develop the yud. On Dafar is a mammality begoming in the oasis, and that's why the Alter is telling us something which is fascinating: that despite its so-called aloofness and abstractness and and supreme greatness, the level of Ratzon Elion actually does have a touch point with the reality that we're living in, or the reality that we can affect through our behavior. This will explain something which emerges later in the Gersachuva. Later on, the Altareb is going to explain to us how Ratzon Ha'elian cleanses all of the blemishes that we cause through our Averis. He repeats the same principle because it's going to be relevant again over there. He explains to us that Hashem's Ratzon is Dafka 
represented in the Kaitsa Shayud. May Rots and Helen Borucha Nirmas, but Kaitsa Shayud and Mile Mime Shemavai, Alchem Lakim Kalabagomim, Hulay, he explains that the, the atonement or the cleansing comes from that level of Rotsam, which is completely unaffected and beyond the reach of our Averis, and therefore can cleanse us. The Lacha'ira Tomua. If you think about it, it's actually strange. This doesn't seem really that it's the, the, the most important place for us to know that Rats and Ho'elian links to or is represented by the Koytshaliyud. Surely the Altarebbe, if you read what he's saying in context, wants to actually illustrate to us how removed Rats and Ho'elian is from Yudke Vavke. Why then bring where it is represented? Right? The goal of the Alter Rebbe is to say, Ratzon Elin is completely beyond anything represented by, by the letters of Shem Abaya. And then in the same breath saying, and it's represented by the Koch It doesn't seem to make sense until you realize the context. It's the paradox that the Alter Rebbe needs to explain to us. In order for Ratzon Ha'elion to have a meaningful impact on the Oasis Shemavaya, on the parts of Shemavaya that have been blemished by our behavior, you've got to have this paradox. On the one hand, to be able to be immune to the effects of what our various have done, because otherwise, how can you fix them? So there's got to be this element which is completely beyond what the letters of Yudke Vavke represent. But there's got to be some kind of a link. There, can be, there cannot be a complete divorce. So therefore, there's got to be the Koytsel Yud, which alludes to the fact that says, ah, this is something beyond the system and yet linked to and can affect and cleanse the system. The only thing is, this actually raises a question in the other direction because the fact that our Averis can cause damage to the letters of the Ebishter's name. And the only way to fix that is we've got to reach into an energy that is beyond the energy manifested in those letters. So let's understand how can we have an impact on divine energy? Must be because this divine energy has already taken on a finite position. So it's got a tzir, has a particular way that it manifests, a particular way that it expresses itself. And the moment something has a finite reality and definition, it is susceptible to our impact. And by the way, the letter, the shape and appearance of the letter is an illustration of what kind of energy is represented by and embedded in that letter. So the moment something is in the realm of the finite, we're also in the realm of the finite. We may be way down the spectrum, but we're in the same realm. And anything that operates or lives in the same realm can interact and can affect each other. So if these are energies that Hashem has now crafted and shaped into a particular format, and we live in a particular format, our format might be able to ruin that format so we can blemish that energy or those letters. Which raises a question. If we're now saying that there is part of that system of the letters, the which also represents and incorporates Ratzin, not only is it that there is a part of the letter that represents Ratzon Ha'elian, but it's now that this Koitz Shal Yud, which is the Ratzon Ha'elian, is the beginning point of what will eventually evolve into all these various energies. That implies that Ratzon Ha'elian also has, if not an actual shape and form, at least the beginnings of the potential of shape and form. Which means that Ratzon Ha'elian is part of the beginning process of what will eventually lead to creations, including us. So that means that it is somehow related to the system. And we've said anything which is within the system has the ability to impact another part of the system. If Ratzon Ha'elian can touch our world to be able to fix our Averis, how come our Averis can't touch Ratzon Ha'elian to cause any damage? Let's look at it just in the actual four letters themselves. The letter Yud is the least formatted of all the letters. It's the most basic, the simplest, the tiniest of all of the letters. To illustrate us that what Yud is and what it represents, Chochmah, is all about lack of identity and complete surrender to something which is greater than itself. 
Und von deswegen, wie bald ist es fort, mit Zins von einem Osser, mit Zins von Bittel, hat er ehrlich Kische bei Sio das Ziel. But nevertheless, despite the fact that Chochmah has this tremendous capacity for surrender to Hashem and transparency and invisibility, yet, it is still a letter. That's the fact. The Yud is a letter. That implies that it still has a defined reality. Could be that its defined re reality, its character is Bittel. Surrender. But that's still character. It can be defined. And therefore it has shape and therefore it has a relationship to our very solid and, and uh, uh, rigidly defined reality. On the far can and that's why Chokhmah can even be affected, no matter how lofty it is, by our Averis. Surely the same thing should apply to the Kotcher Yud. Yes, it's even less formed and therefore less rigid and less so to speak, defined then the letter Yud. But the fact is, it still exists, right? You can see it. You can actually see the ink that was used for the Koytzel Yud. Surely the logic then is that the energy represented by this Koytz, which is Hashem Supino Ratzen, is still somehow, even if it's very distant and remote, but it's somehow linked to the world of things that are shaped and defined and rigid, and is not something which completely rejects the possibility of very finite beings who could even rebel and do bad things and cause damage. So how is it immune? In Emerson, the truth is that in a broader sense we could actually ask the same question about Yud, which represents Chochmah. Is because whatever damage an Avera might do to the Yud Chochmah dimension of Hashem's name, explains that there are two dimensions to Chochmah. There's the kernel of Chochmah, which is effectively like the intellect that a person has before it's actually developed into an idea. And then the moment when you get the idea, that's already a spashtos. That's already something which expands out of the core of the intellect within the person. So the Alter Rebbe talks about the possibility of the Chochmah, the actual pristine version of Chochmah itself. And then the mispashet, the pechina mispashet, like the, 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 so to speak, radiance of the Chochmah outwards in the under spheres, which then has an impact on the other spheres. And it's actually that part of Chochmah which is susceptible to our damage, whereas pristine Chochmah is kind of protected from our damage because it's absolute bittel and it, it cannot be affected by the, the things that we do because we're Matthias and that's bittel and, and, and the one doesn't affect the other. Let's explain it better. As we've explained, the entire real definition of Chochmah is absolute bittel. That's why it's this tiny little letter which is really just a dot. Because of that absolute bitl, Chochmah is the place, as the Al-Terebbe says, what is the definition of Chochmah? This is the place where you feel and, and you, can, you can sense the absolute oneness of Hashem in the most absolute way that nothing else could exist. So when you're living with that reality that there's only Hashem and nothing else exists, you're not really susceptible to the pain or the, or the blemish of Averis. So Chochmah is really immune to our Averis. But as we have already described, yes, Chochmah has absolute bitl, but that is its character, that is its definition, something which can be described and can be discussed. Because the minute you have something which can be defined, that could evolve into something which is even more defined, which could eventually evolve into something which is solidly defined as I, sense of ego, on the far in the beginning of the minute that beginning of radiating Chochmah out to give life to other spheres starts, it's now automatically susceptible to being damaged by our averes. So isn't it verstandig? Same question about Chochmah that we had about Rotzen. What is the representation of the letter Yud? Not only the part of Chochmah that is supposed to be joined to the other spheres and to give them life, but actually the pristine core of what Chochmah is about. That's also represented in the letter Yud. Then surely everything about Chochmah should have some kind of definition, some kind of representation, some kind of finite boundaries. And anything which has boundaries cannot totally reject the possibility of beings that have boundaries. So how come it is that there's no real impact of our Averis on the level of Chochmah? Why not? How is it so immune? What's protecting it? It is, so to speak, linked to our reality. To answer all of those questions, that's what Alter Rebbe wants us to know in his very nuanced language choices with regards to Keser, Chochmah, 
and the other spheres. That's the, what the Rebbe Levi was drawing our attention to. The spheroes that are represented by the letters of Hashem's name do so in completely different ways. The spheres, when we're talking about the so-called lower spheres from Bina and down, in the Oasis of Hevavhe. They are incorporated, and not only alluded to, they're incorporated in those letters, hey incorporates Bina. Vav incorporates the six meters. The final hey incorporates Malchus. On the far That means they take on, so to speak, the shape of the particular letter that, that represents them. And therefore they are defined. Anything which is defined is susceptible to the impact of other defined beings. So our Averos can have impact and cause damage to the hey, the Vav, the hey, Bina, Zom, Malchus. Whereas Chochma and Keser are not alluded to inside the letter. There's nothing about the shape of the letter and the design of the letter which actually incorporates Chochma and Keser in them. It says, It's just that the Yud or the Koitzel Yud is just like a, a symbol to indicate. But they're not actually represented by those letters. And that's why you can't really affect them because they don't really have the tzirosis. So let, let's just try and understand what that is. So let's say for argument's sake, you would look at a hay. You look at a hay and you see the expanse. You can actually see it. You can physically see it. It's got width. It's got length. It's got depth because you can even see the, the short leg of the hay as being three-dimensional and going into the depth of the paper. The Vav, you can see, you can see that it's all about drawing down. You're bringing something down. The Yud doesn't yet have a shape. So even though Yud represents Chochmah, you don't look at it and see Chochmah in it, and certainly not in the Koitz Shal Yud. It's kind of like the difference between companies that have a logo, where the logo represents the culture or the product that the company is all about, and other companies that just have an arbitrary logo. So when you look at the logo, you know that it represents that particular company, but there's nothing about the logo that tells you that. And then there's a further distinction between Chochmah and Ratzon, which is in Kesar. The Alter Rebbe tells us that the Yud is Miramezes. That's an active word. Miramezes, like Mashpia, Milamed. And it implies that you're doing something really active to show this um, link and this representation of Chochmah. It's a heavier expression. It says, not kind of an investment in I am representing. And I'm the Yud, I am representing Chochmah. So that's alluding to the fact that Yud has a clearer link to Chochmah. That you can actually see it in the, in the, the, the letter Yud. And you probably were thinking of that when you know, mentioned that Hey is wide and Vav is long. You also think, yeah, but a Yud is exactly like Chochmah. It's like that spark. Well, that's the point. You can actually see some kind of a link and a, and a connection. There is some kind of a link between the energy that Chochmah is and the letter representing it, Yud. And then, as we've said, because it takes on a particular shape and form, and therefore it's in the realm of the finite world, therefore it is susceptible, at least the part of Chochmah that is Mispashetis, that has a link to the rest of the spheres, can be affected by our Averis. But when he comes to the Koetzer Yud, then he uses the word Reimers, which is a very light word. It hints at it, it alludes to it. It's like a, an arbitrary logo that represents a company. And it represents Hashem's supernal Ratzon. But there's absolutely no real link or uh, similarity or representation of Hashem's Ratzon in a Koetzer Yud. On the far is, uh, is in Rotson, so because the Rotson itself doesn't take on any shape or form, it's completely divorced from the reality of our finite world, and therefore it's not susceptible to the misbehaviors of our finite world. On and that comes back to our point about the paradox of Rotson. On the one hand, the Ratzon is linked to Koetzer which in turn is the hyperlink to allow Ratzon access to the whole Yud which is why it can make a difference in the world of Yud and cleanse the blemishes that were attracted to the letters of Hashem's name through our bad behavior. 
Later, yet at the same time, it's very But the koitz doesn't hold or represent Ratzon Ha'elion in a meaningful way, so therefore it doesn't ever enter into and become trapped in our reality. And therefore, Ratzon Ha'elion is actually fundamentally beyond the entire system of Yudkei Vavkei. And therefore, no Avera can do any harm or blemish it in any way. And that's what obviously allows it the possibility to be able to, to cleanse. There's a nice example of this that we can see practically in the difference between the holiness of the garment of a talus versus the strings of the tzitzis. The halacha is that once you've used a talus, if you remove the tzitzis strings from it, technically you could use it as anything else you want, a shawl, a blanket, whatever. It has no holiness, whereas the strings of the tzitzis are fundamentally holy. That doesn't mean to say, okay, so talus is no longer part of the mitzvah. Darizal actually says that the extent of holiness associated with the garment of the talus is in a certain regard far greater than the holiness in the strings of the tzitzis. Which is why, according to Kabbalah, really the tzitzis is just like strands that are an extension of the talus. So how come then you can discard the talus afterwards? Now the Indian in Demi is it's as follows. In the tzitzis was like released nimi, and the tzitzis are just strings, like almost like rays of light. Representing the fact that the holiness which tzitzis conveys is a stream. It's a particular channel of holiness that is designed to live within the world. It's, it's been limited, it's been focused, it's been um, fine-tuned to be able to live in the world. To you know, like like that stream of the string. It's it's small. It's it's contained. On and therefore the tzitzis are able to hold and retain the holiness that streams into them. Whereas talus, which is something we wrap ourselves in, representing that it is an energy that is greater than who we are, and we are enveloped by the energy rather than being able to capture the energy. So the energy, the holiness of the talus, is not caught up in the actual fabric of the talus. It's just that because we're enveloped in a talus, that is a hint to the fact that we're enveloped by an infinite uh, godly energy. But because that godliness cannot be held by the talus, so therefore the talus itself does not become holy. It's the same kind of principle. So the godliness that is manifested in Chochmah and certainly in Bina and Zohan Malchus, that's a godliness that can be contained. Whereas the godliness that is represented by Ratzin Ha'elian, by the Koch Shel Yud, that cannot be contained. It doesn't enter into the system, even though it channels tremendous holiness. So in this example that we've just used, the talus represents this incredible, very aloof kind of energy that is totally beyond anything that we could capture or tune. And it's so removed from the actual tangible experience of the talus that afterwards you could use, as we've learned, halachically you could use the talus for something else. So that's a talus. What would that represent in divine terms? So we've spoken about Yud Kevav. Okay, that would be like the tzitzis. What is a talus? That would be the the word onoichi, which we're told is that what's powerful about onoichi is it doesn't have a name. So it's not like Yud Kevav, which is a name of Hashem, and certainly not a lekim. But not only that, it cannot be captured in any letters or even in the koits, the, the edges of the letters. And yet on the other hand, Anoichi is not considered one of the holy names. You write Anoichi on a piece of paper, you could discard it. The word Anoichi is purely just a logo to represent or a hint at Hashem's absolute essence. I am who I am, which you cannot ever know. And so that is a, an energy of Hashem which is completely, completely beyond being captured, held, experienced, felt, described. But it gives us an insight into those energies that can be experienced or described or felt. So first of all, we have the concept of an energy that can be actually captured in words. When you have a teacher explaining something which is very advanced intellect, so you can see the words that the, that the teacher is using, the nature of the, those words conveys the content. You can actually feel the energy and the insight of the teacher's wisdom inside the words that the teacher is using. 
Bays, there was and then there's another degree of energy that is being conveyed that doesn't fit in the words. All you can use is words to kind of hint at the fact that there's something greater. Like, for example, a riddle. And chido is one of the words used for prophecy. So, you know, when people speak, so to speak, in tongues, where they're saying something, you don't really understand what they're saying because the message is far too profound to be captured in the words. When you pose a riddle, you're not teaching a lecture. You're not sharing a concept. You're alluding to the fact that there's a concept that's beyond what anybody can understand, and therefore it's a riddle. It would be a real uh, stretch to suggest, well, the wisdom is in the riddle. It's not. The riddle alludes to the fact that there is wisdom. Now you've got to find the wisdom. The words don't contain the wisdom. And that is alluded to in the two things that Anoichi does not have, the two properties that Anoichi doesn't have. On the one hand, it was for shame that it's not represented by a name. And it's not hinted at with any letter or even the quotes of a letter. It was for shame when we say that Anoichi cannot be captured or described in a name. That's saying, that means that other kinds of energy can be represented in words, in names, in descriptions, in teaching. And when that happens, then the energy takes on a particular form and it kind of gets locked into that form. So if I can explain it, that's now what that energy is. And even the letters of the particular words that I'm using to describe this particular energy, they, those letters will illustrate the, the nature and shape and form of that particular letter. Then there's beyond that. There's boys for koitzer. Those things which can be hinted at with a letter or with the koitz on a letter. The shaykh is vision the boys for koitzer mit nerelikinim is in them. Vasin zayetzir is darem asefanor. There, there's the, the words are not actually carrying the theme or, or the message. There's something about the letter that hints at this particular message. Oh, a yud is tiny, so it hints at the fact that chokhm is bitl. And then you have the quotes on top of the Yud. Which doesn't even look like a letter. It's just a hint, a logo. That alludes to something which cannot be described. It can only be hinted at, riddled at, so to speak, which is Kesser. What's important for us is that when you're dealing in the remes category, then you're not capturing the energy in a word. You're only alluding to the fact that the energy ex- exists by that word or probably letter or probably even just piece of a letter. And now with that in mind, we can see the clear distinction between Kesser one category, Chochmah, the next category, and Bina and Midas and Malchus, the third category. In Keser, Zani Tokin Kalem. Keser doesn't have the, the possibility of boundaries, of Kalem, of definitions. Keser is just pure unbridled energy that cannot be held, cannot be shaped, cannot even be represented, even by a Koitz. At best, the Koitzer Shuyud could hint at the fact that Kesser exists. So Kesser is just unbridled energy. Chachma, on the other hand, does have parameters and it does have a way to define it. But Chassidus explains that the nature of the definitions, the Kalim, the vessels, that which contains, defines, and represents Chachma. Is not real Kali, it's just f- um, finite or. So it's energy that has been shaped. Which is why we say that Chochmah, even when it exists as an entity called Chochmah, exists in a state of Bittel, because the light shines right through, there's nothing to block it. And therefore, it wouldn't be appropriate to say, certainly not that Chochmah is held within or incorporated within a vessel within a, a letter, because it can't be, and not even to say that it's hinted in the letter. It's just that this letter, being so tiny, the Yud, is a great way to represent 
the energy of Chachma, which is this complete submission and bitul. Sizan oi, samatzias. It is a letter. It's not a koitz. It's an actual letter. It's got shape. It's got dimensions. Avazan sira is nekudelavad bitul. What are its dimensions? What is its shape? Something which is absolutely diminished to show that it is a diminished energy. But to be clear, Chachma does have its parameters. It does have its character of submission. Therefore, there is some link between the physical appearance of a Yud and the energy of Chachma that it represents. That's why the word that Alter Rebbe uses over here is yes, it is a hint. But what kind of a hint? An active hint, an engaged, an invested hint, because the Yud actually does link us to what Chochma is about. But when you get to the world of Bina, certainly uh, Zohar and Malchus, now you're talking about energy that actually lives in those definitions that the Kalim represent, that the letters represent. This is their stomping ground. This is their, their extent of expression. And therefore, not only are they hinted at by these letters, but they're actually held within these letters. In the Oasis, over here, Hey contains in it the energy of Bina. Vav contains in it the energy of Zoh. The final Hey contains within it the energy of Malchus. But what's interesting is the Alter Rebbe doesn't stop at the point and say, well, these energies are kind of, so to speak, sucked into and held in these particular shapes and forms and, and, and definitions. He also uses the word Nermezes that they hint at. Why? So he uses the word hinted at because obviously the letter isn't the energy, but he wants to say that it's nirmas in, that the, the letter has become incorporated, sorry, the energy has become incorporated inside the letter. So when you look at this letter, you can actually see a real representation of what this energy of either Bina or Zor or Malchus is. As we've described, the energy becomes shaped by the particular letter. So what the letter looks like is a means of telling us what the energy is like. We do have to know that there's a distinction between the energy itself, which now takes on a shape, and what represents it, the keli, which also has a shape. The whole purpose of a letter is that it should exist. And it should exist in a unique, distinct way. You need to be able to tell the difference between an aleph and a base. Therefore, the shape and form that it has is very key to its being. But the energy within an aleph doesn't have that same you know, specific shape or that same specific set of finite borders. It's or, it's poshut, it's light. It's just reflecting or filtering through a particular form or a particular screen, as we'll see in a second. So right now, the energy of Bina is in the first hay of Hashem's name. So it's kind of shaped by everything that a hay represents. But it's not limited solely to what the hay represents. It's a great example. You pour water into a color, into a green vase. There's no question about that. I now see green water, but the water hasn't become green. So the filter affects our perception of the ur. The keli limits the manifestation of the ur, but it doesn't limit the ur. And also, that's why the Alter Rebbe is not satisfied just to say that Nichleles, the energy has now been incorporated into this reality called Hey, but it's also Nirmezes. The Kainim of the Sphere is very Nichlel, in that Sphere from the Oasis, the, so to speak, finite parameters of this particular energy called Bina are in fact held within the physical manifestation of a letter Hey. Whereas the energy of the sphere of Bina, the, the light, the energy, yes, it has now a shape, it has now a set of definitions that are similar to the physical manifestation of a hay, but it's not bound by the hay, it's only hinted at in the hay. It's water in a colored vase. You'll see a similar thing in mitzvahs. 
because mitzvahs are linked to Yud Kevav Kei. On the one hand, you have the Maisa mitzvah, the actual practical doing of the mitzvah. Was an ongiton in Kalim in Dvorim Gashmim. In order to do a mitzvah, you need certain tools, and they are physical, so they have finite dimensions and sizes, etc. Zainet Tluyim in the Kalim from the spheres. So the physical apparatus of the mitzvah and the physical actions of the mitzvah are related to the Kalim of the sphere that that particular mitzvah engages with. But the intention and meditation behind the mitzvahs, you don't need the physical item to really affect the intention that you have behind the mitzvah. That gives us access to the energy of the sphere associated with this particular mitzvah. And lastly, now we can go back and understand how come it is that when the Alter Rebbe introduces the entire conversation, even including a reference to Chachma, he does say not only Nirmanesis, but also Nichlelis. Why? It all depends what we're comparing Chachma to. So if we're comparing Chochma to the level that produces all the spheres, and therefore obviously is a dimension of godliness which is fundamentally beyond the spheres because it produces the spheres. Well, then we're going to say, here's the producer of spheres, which obviously has no oris, no kalim in the classical sense, yet Chochma does have oris or kalim, so Chochma is actually more similar to the other spheres. We say, well, Chochmah is similar to the other spheres in the sense that it's not only Nermezes, but it's Nichlolis, meaning to say that it has definitions. But if we're comparing Chochmah to the other spheres, which is what the Alter Rebbe does next, seeing as even the parameters and definitions of Chochmah are themselves light and energetic, then we no longer say Nichlelis because the truth is that the Chochmah is not being held in or represented perfectly by the letter that represents it. And this is even more rich when you consider that Chochmah itself has two levels. You have the pristine Chochmah, we already touched on this a little bit earlier. There's the fact that there is intellect which is still at a stage that is beyond actual ideas. In other words, sure, the ideas are the tangible part of Seichel, but there's a dimension of the Seichel that exists that is not the sum of all of those ideas. It's Nelamikol Ryan. It's intellect, which is hidden from actually being the producer of all the particular ideas. Vazdan is a hechafon islabish of Zemitzukesser. From that perspective, Chochmah is completely beyond being held in any kind of a definition or any kind of representation similar to Kesser. And then, then you have Chochmah, when the Chochmah actually hits, you actually have the insight, or the idea, or the perspective. At that moment, Chochmah is behaving like the other spheres. It is manifesting, it is defined, it's a particular idea. Yes, of course, it's a very subtle idea, and that's why we lose Chochmahs quite easily if we don't give them the attention. But it is, nevertheless, some kind of a definition. Therefore, when the Alter is talking about the Ten Spheres, he talks about Chochmah as something which invests in the realities. So he's talking about Spheres. Part of the Spheres is Chochmah. Part of what Chochmah does is it manifests in, in tangible ideas that we can actually understand. So therefore, it's near Mezes Venechleles. It is actually incorporated in the so-called reality of uh, the, 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 the Kalim that it represents. But when the Altrebbe speaks about Chochmah as Chochmah, not Chochmah as a part of a system, Chochmah in its most pristine, ideal form, and there the Altrebbe wants to show us that Chochmah is just so concealed and beyond anything that we could capture or define, that in our experience would be considered the so-called hidden or invisible intellect, there the Alter Rebbe only says the Yud hints at Chochmah. He doesn't say the Yud incorporates Chochmah because it's an invisible Chochmah at this point. It's a pristine Chochmah. There isn't yet anything to be represented by a particular letter.